Oldfield and Company. Any communication with Josh Jacobs? No, nothing, nothing to add on on that whole the whole situation there. Uh, I mean, it, everybody's getting opportunities. Obviously, you, the backs are all going to get opportunities in training camp. I don't think anyone's like Josh in the league. I think Josh is one of a kind, and I can't wait to get him back. It's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield and Adam Hill. All right, here we go on a Thursday. Cofield and Company, Adam Hill is here. Come on as well. He's steering the ship. Busy, busy day. Fun show on the way. A lot of speculation. I warn you that it is speculation when it comes to conference chaos. I cannot believe the amount of tweets I'm cataloging. And many of them, I'm like, who is this? And what are the sources? Because then the news is changed by that person hours later or countered by someone. It's crazy what's going on right now. Uh, John Wilner this morning, who's one of the big Pac-12 guys, that was the guy, that is a guy I trust, um, tweeted out this morning, I expect the future of the Pac-12 to be determined in the next 24 to 36 hours. That is crazy after waiting all the time. Again, this was 8.13 in the morning, and then I just saw a good tweet from a listener and then Andy Staples, who's pretty big on the college sports and college football scene. Uh, One guy said, I didn't know how I felt about NIL at first, but with all these wealthy adults making moves in college football to make themselves wealthier, I don't want to hear another peep about players getting paid. The lack of leadership around college football from the schools to the regions is freaking embarrassing. Staples responded, uh, bingo. All they need to say is I learned it by watching you, Dad, which is a classic line from an old drug PSA. It's crazy, crazy right now. And like, as I mentioned, a lot of it is fueled by what's going on on social media, which Adam brings us to recapping the Raiders the last couple of days. And I, I'm seeing some threads. There's some interesting discussions about Jimmy G and Derek Carr. I guess a day off gives people a chance to go back and start weaning what they want from reports and stories. Uh, first of all, just about every day we have a new signing, someone new in camp. Uh, was it two days ago? Out goes O.J. Howard, a tight end. Do they have a new tight end in the building now? Yeah, Jacob Hollister comes in. and uh, Experienced guy, right? And yes, and a special teamer is really what you need okay. to know. And O.J. Howard was probably not going to be a special teamer. Which is really important. Of course, especially with your backup tight ends. Especially when you've got a, you know, at the top of the list, a potential you know star pass catcher and Michael Mayer, and then Austin Hooper, who's pretty much just a receiving tight end as well. Uh, you need to have your other guys that are in the tight end room be special teams guys, and uh, pretty clear what this move is about. Okay. Uh, in about ten minutes, we're going to do another Raiders opponent preview. We're going from the end of the season to the beginning, and we'll talk to an expert who covers the Vikings, and obviously get into our impression of Kirk Cousins from quarterback. A little bit more. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks, so we haven't really gotten a grade from you on Jimmy G, which I want to get. Um, left practice the other day. What was the deal? Uh, sound. Well, they, so he left practice yesterday. He did okay. take a practice off last week. He left practice yesterday. I was surprised he was practicing yesterday uh, with a day off today. So it seems like. It was a pretty planned move of halfway through practice, he left. It was and a planned move. Kind of, that's what the team says. Now, uh, again, I, I want I want you to describe where you guys are at practice and how much access you really have to what's going on once the first, whatever, like 20 minutes is 
is gone. Well, even even with right now, we can stay for the whole practice. Right, but they don't practice well, right in front of us. Right. They, where do you where do you guys are you guys on the opposite side of what four fields? Uh, it's three fields. Okay. Uh, they're not doing the far field because one of the things they did this year. It's a little bit better, not much, but there are fans only on one side of the facility, so they're not practicing on the third field. They okay. usually are on the middle field. So we have a field in between us, and then players lined up to kind of block the view of what's going on on the field. Um, but there, there is a little bit better yeah. site. But I, you know, the other day, uh, Brandon Faison got carted off, and you know, I wrote the story. And one of my editors said, well, "Which leg was it?" I was like, "I don't know. Can't tell. Like, it's, there's there's a field and yep. a line of players between us. I, I want people to know what's going on at Raiders camp. And hey, the Raiders can do whatever they want with where they put the media, and it's intentional. You know, they don't yeah. want you to see a lot of stuff. But when you see reports come out and there's uh, specifics, I'm like, I, who saw that? Well, they're they are spending some time on the field closest to us. So like, okay. I, usually when you see somebody tweet something specific, it's because it's right on the field in front of us. Now but that's I, the originator. What about the aggregator? Yeah, what about the person who then follows up? They're not there. And Right, they're not there, and those are those, those are a lot of the reports around the Raiders. Well, and also, look, I I don't want to call out individual people, but like there are people that are trying to report on what's going on at practice. I tend to try to avoid it because, like I, like I'm saying, like you don't see that much of a detail. Like you can try to give people an impression, yep. Um, and Absolutely. you know sometimes you can. Like the the day where two days where a certain player was really really bad, it was on the field closest to us. We got to see a lot of it, and it it was bad. Uh, other people, some people didn't want to report it because they don't want to make players look bad, and that's fine. But he, he was awful, and so we saw a lot of that. But there was an incident between two players, which sounds like it was very silly. Uh, two two of the star players, Jimmy Garoppolo and Max Crosby, kind of in each other's face, laughing. But from where we were, kind of looked like they were fighting. It was reported by one person that they were fighting. Then it went all over the place that they were fighting. I know one of the players, Max Crosby, was not happy with that report and told the reporter yesterday. But um, there are times where you're like, you're, you are just trying to see what you can and see your best, and you don't know. So that's right. why I try to avoid a lot of it. But I know a lot of fans come at you like, hey, why aren't you telling us anything? Right. So we're not really seeing everything. People love football season. They want news. It's it's endless. I mean, they, you, you can't give them enough. No. And then they start reading into stuff. Uh, yeah. I, I saw a discussion with Q over on Raider Nation Radio. You know, he does extra Raider content with his Lockdown Raider podcast. He does it, whatever, 360 days a year. It's crazy. Um, someone tweeted at him, uh, this is going to be a lightning rod, but it feels like there has been a serious culture change with the Raiders and Jimmy G. Just my opinion, but I think Carr lost his confidence with injuries and lost the locker room in 2017. <laughs> oh, wow. The Washington um, issue. Also, if the defense wasn't allowed to pick him off in practice due to confidence issues, that's all I need to know. When... Where is this news from? Or is this actually chatter that the D at some point was told, you know what, take it easy on Derek because we got to keep his, we got to prop up his confidence. Is there something to this? That that is a, that's something that's been floating around for a long really? time. Really, um, I don't necessarily know that it's true. Right. But there was times where it looked like a guy could have had an interception and didn't take it, and so there was. What if he know, catches it by mistake? He whip it to the ground. And there were players that said, ah, you know, they told us, you know, protect Derek. Oh, really? But. I don't, I don't know that to be true. Now, it has been reported by some people, and that has now just become fact. And I saw other people saying, um, now is Max Crosby getting the Derek Carr treatment because he has been so dominant that it looks like nobody's even trying to block him. You're like, no, maybe they're just letting Max get his confidence by just destroying everyone. Why would he need to get confidence? Blocked. I don't know. I think he's just destroying people. But that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying uh, of this is how these things just start spiraling. Oh, my God. 
All right, a lot more on Jimmy G because he's had some practices that haven't been great. Uh, I want to follow up on the reporting of the Jimmy G, Max Crosby fight, as Adam mentioned. But let's do a giveaway right now. It wasn't a fight. Uh, 364-1100, 364-1100. Team USA is in town getting ready. Uh, they're uh, getting ready for the uh, FIBA World Cup in the Philippines. They're going to play an exhibition game against Puerto Rico. That's on Monday right here in town at the Fortress at T-Mobile. AXS.com is where you can get your tickets. Members of the team, this is a younger group as they go for the uh, FIBA title this year. Mikhail Bridges, Tyrese Halliburton, uh, Lakers favorite, Austin Reeves, Josh Hart from the Knicks, Jalen Brunson from the Knicks. But you can get two tickets right now from Demon. 364-1100, Caller 7. You can grab your own tickets at AXS.com. An intelligent quarterback who probably slightly overthinks the game to his own detriment. And then you contrast that with Mahomes. Dude, this is just what I do. Like, he was just, so, he became he, he's such a natural at it that he never overthinks himself. He never doubts himself. And I thought having somebody who's supremely confident and somebody who has some doubts about his abilities those two characters i just loved the sort of differences there now back to cofield and company in the finley toyota studio that was our buddy justin Watkins with his take on netflix quarterback with kirk cousins featured and patrick mahomes featured and i'm sure vikings fans and viking media is very familiar with the uh, the mental um I don't even know if it's struggle or challenge, but the mental games that Cousins goes through, and it was you know shown pretty well on that documentary. Cofield, Adam Hill, let's uh, preview another Raiders opponent. This one's coming towards the end of the season, week 14. Vikings, we got Vikings reporter uh, Dane Mizutani is with us here in Vegas. How are you, sir? Dane, are you there? I think he's there. There he is. What's up, Dane? I'm doing good. How are you? Uh, we're good. We're good. Uh, how much talk has there been about uh, quarterback, and maybe it's all in the rearview mirror since it's been out for a while, but around Kirk Cousins and some of the creative things he does to try to get over those mental hurdles uh, between the games? Yeah, it, it was a huge talking point early in training camp. Um, and still kind of some residual talking points you know, here as we enter kind of week two, two and a half, three. Um, but I think it was really illuminating when you look at Kirk Cousins. He's someone who's been a polarizing figure in the NFL uh, pretty much since he got here. Um, some people love him. Some people hate him. There really isn't a lot of in-between. Um, but I think when you watch the quarterback documentary and you look at you know some of the things, when, when you can pull back that curtain and see who Kirk Cousins really is, uh, it was really, really interesting. I think his approval rating kind of went through the roof. Um, and I think people looked at it coming into Vikings training camp is, all right, how is he going to handle this spotlight? Um, he's handled it tremendously well, um, but kind of to your, to your question about just kind of how he handles, you know, the, the trials and tribulations of being quarterback in the NFL, uh, I think it was interesting to see kind of him do that in real time. And then the doc kind of gave you a glimpse into his life. Uh, my biggest takeaway from watching the show was that guy is tough as nails. Um, I don't think that's something – that necessarily got talked about enough um, prior to that documentary. Um, it's a guy who, was, who hadn't been on the injury report um, for like almost 10 years before last year. Um, and then if you watch that documentary, you see the, the beating he took. Um, it's no wonder he finally made his way onto the injury report. But uh, the preparation he takes to, you know, to make sure his body's right for every Sunday, um, I thought that was extremely interesting and um, good PR move by, by Cousins Camp to get him on that show. So 
I guess where does the franchise stand with Derek Carr? Oh, I mean Kirk Cousins. Uh, they're the same <laughs> player. Uh, where do they stand with him long term? Do they think they can win with him at the highest level? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> and I don't think the franchise, I don't think Clay Adolfo Menton necessarily knows either. Um, and that's why they didn't extend him this offseason. Um, because they, they're not necessarily ready to make a long-term commitment to Kirk Cousins. Uh, I think he has the respect of a lot of guys in the locker room, finally. I think he's someone who, you look at the landscape of the quarterback position across the NFL, you can certainly do a heck of a lot worse than Kirk Cousins. Um, he's established himself well within that top half of the league at the position. But with the money he's going to command, and that's not his fault. I mean, everyone, go get your bread. You know, you, you, you have a finite amount of time to play this game. But with the, the amount of money he's going to command you know, year in, year out for the rest of his career, is he good enough to get you over the hump and, and get you kind of past some of those deficiencies where when you're spending that much money on a quarterback, then you're in turn not spending money elsewhere on the team. Um, I don't think the Vikings are ready to commit to that long term, and then they clearly aren't because they haven't given him a contract beyond this year. Um, the thing about Kirk Cousins, and you got to respect it, uh, he's done this before. He played on the tag twice in Washington. Um, he told us at the beginning of training camp, you know, I'm fine. I've, I've done this before. And, and and sometimes you hear guys say that, and it sounds defiant. This kind of just sounded matter-of-fact. Like, we're going to just line up, see chips fall where they may after this season. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you guys went through the same thing with, with Derek Carr in Vegas. Um, it seems like there is a definite ceiling to Kirk Cousins being the quarterback in Minnesota. Um, if he takes a step forward, if they win a playoff game next or this, this season, yeah, I think he's back next year. If they don't, I think he's gone. Dave Mizzatani covers the Vikings for the Pioneer Press. Uh, the, so I guess where do they stand? That is a very strange division. Obviously, we don't know about Jordan Love with the Packers. The Lions seem to be everybody's favorite uh, on the rise. The Vikings were obviously great last year in the regular season and faltered once again in the playoffs. And then the Bears have all this excitement too, but they haven't really showed they could do it. Like, wh- what? How does this division shake up in your mind going into the season? Yeah, honestly, like – the Lions have a lot of smoke around them right now. Um, I'm, I just need to see them do it. Like I, I think the Lions, probably on paper, should be, you know, the favorites to win the NFC North. But until they do it, like to me, it's to the Lions, and maybe that's not fair. Um, but I think a lot of people are ready to just give the Lions the division crown right now. Uh, but I think the Vikings are still a talented team, and. For, uh, can they win a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins as as their guy under center? I'm not sure. I don't know if he can elevate you to that level. Um, like we talked about with you know the money he's commanding, that in turn not allowing you to spend elsewhere on the roster. I don't know if Kirk Cousins can get you over that hump to win a Super Bowl, to beat a guy like Patrick Mahomes when the lights are bright. Uh, but, yeah, I think he can get you to the NFC North crown again and beat a guy like Jared Goff leading the charge in, in, in Detroit. So, I think the Vikings are, are division contenders. Uh, that doesn't mean I think they're Super Bowl contenders. But when you look at just getting into the dance, um, I think the Vikings have just as good of a chance as the Lions. And I think right now uh, the Lions have kind of become the darling of the NFL. People are ready to just kind of give them the crown. Uh, I expect the Vikings to make that pretty tough for them. and it's good. They're going to make them take it. I uh, know I- I'm – Obviously, asking this question for a reason, a lot of people are very interested in, but uh, there are many people that believe Alexander Madison just takes on Dalvin Cook's role. I don't necessarily know if I see that. What do you think is the, I guess it's hard to say an exact share, but what is the workload for Alexander Madison this year? I think it's going to be pretty immense. Um, And I think, like, 
from like a strictly fantasy football perspective, like Alexander Madison is going to be someone you can rely on uh, because of listening to the Vikings coaching staff talk about Alexander Madison. They're going to use him, and they're going to use the heck out of him. So if you just need a guy to start and get you some points in fantasy football, I think Madison is going to be viable because the Vikings want to commit to the run game this year. It's something they they really kind of struggled to do last year, and that kind of makes sense. You got Justin Jefferson, best receiver in the league, uh, or arguably. Uh, so the, you know the the share of of you know the reps are going to go. You know Jefferson's going to get a lot of those. Um, but you saw with Dalvin Cook last year, he had the big plays, but he had a lot of zero and negative yard runs too. And I think the thing that the Vikings like about Alexander Madison is he always seems to fall forward. He's going to gain you three, four yards a pop. Uh, he's probably not going to, you know, break the big one and go 75 yards, you know, down the left sideline and break the game open. Uh, I think the Vikings know that. But I think in order to kind of make people respect the run, bring an extra guy in the box so you can't double and triple Justin Jefferson on the outside, uh, I think Alexander Madison is going to be able to effectively do that role for the Vikings. Um, he's going to get a lot of carries. He can handle it. Um, and, and, you know, the efficiency with which he runs the football is, I think, something the Vikings are relying on this year. Talking about the Vikings, getting ready for the 2023 season, looking at Raiders opponents. It's Cofield Company, ESPN Las Vegas. Dan Mazzatani is on with us from the Pioneer Press. So some changes on defense and uh, also at D.C. What's the biggest addition for the defense? Is it Brian Flores? Is it one of the free agents? It's Brian Flores, no doubt. Um, you look at kind of the people they brought in on this offseason. I mean, they lost Patrick Peterson, brought in Byron Murphy from the Arizona Cardinals. Um, you, you know, lost to Darius Smith, brought in Marcus Davenport from the New Orleans Saints. Uh, those guys, I mean, maybe they can be needle movers, but the biggest needle mover this offseason was bringing in Brian Flores, bringing in someone who's going to, you know, it, it, if they're – lack talent elsewhere, they're at least going to be aggressive with the way they do it. And that's something that, that Vikings fans grew extremely frustrated with last year, watching that team, watching Ed Donatello's scheme where they're keeping everything in front of them. The safeties are lining up, you know, 15, 18 yards in the be- you know, you know, into the, the secondary, and you're just getting passed on play in, play out, play in, play out. I don't think that's going to be an issue this year with Brian Flores because he will dial up the blitz. He will make things hard on the opposing quarterback. The only thing that I would worry about if, if I was a Vikings fan watching Brian Flores and, and the things his defenses have been capable of in the past is he needs solid, big corners on the outside to kind of dial up those defensive you know, blitz schemes that he wants to do. If he doesn't have that, and that's still the biggest question mark on the team as far as I'm concerned as cornerback play, then I think maybe that limits what, what Brian Flores can do defensively. Um, other guys in the secondary – are going to have to step up for Flores' defense to be extremely effective. Um, but I think if you're just trying to get excited about this group that finished 31st in the league in yards per game last year allowed, uh, Flores is a good reason to get excited because it's going to look different. It will not look like that boring vanilla scheme that Ed Donatel ran week in, week out. Um, there's going to be some aggressiveness. There's going to be some blitzes. Um, you know, And we'll see kind of where that goes with the defense. Um, but Flores' biggest addition to me. Uh, I know it's uh, down the road because the fifth-year option just got picked up this offseason, but what does a contract extension for Justin Jefferson look like, and is there any concern that they won't be able to get something done? Uh, no concern that they won't get it done. I- I'm kind of sitting there saying, you know, what are they waiting for? <laughs> <laughs> because 
I'm not letting that guy walk out the building or leave Minnesota anytime soon. Uh, I think the answer to that is probably there were priorities to fill before Justin Jefferson kind of got his bag. Uh, Daniel Hunter was obviously, it wasn't a hold out because he showed up to training camp, but it was what, you know, what they call now a hold in where he's not participating, but he's there. So he doesn't get that $50,000 a day fine. I think Daniel Hunter's contract situation uh, took kind of precedence because it had the ability, you know, the potential to, to become untenable down the road. Now you look at Justin Jefferson, he doesn't have that commitment beyond that fifth year option right now. And he seems to be cool with it. He's, he's out there, he's smiling, he's hitting the gritty in practice. Uh, he's saying, you know, we, I remember we asked him a mandatory mini camp, are you going to show up to training camp without a long-term commitment? And he said, yeah, why wouldn't I? Uh, it's just a kid he is. He has no diva to him. He wants to be on the field. And I think when you have a guy like that, you know, with that kind of persona, it does make it easier to negotiate. Um, I think he really just wants to be out there. Uh, but, it, yeah, it's only a matter of time before they get that thing done. I'm surprised this hasn't happened by now. What does it look like? It looks like the, be- the, the highest paid player to ever play the game that doesn't play the quarterback position. I expect him to get more than Aaron Donald. Um, I expect him to be the highest paid receiver in the league. And like I said, highest paid player, not at the quarterback position. Um, and then until the next one signs, right? Because that's how things go. Talking Vikings. Uh, last couple questions for Dan Mizzitani. Let's do, do it with the uh, betting numbers. Uh, first, over under on wins is 8.5. The over is minus 140. 13 win team a year ago, 8.5 now, huh? Yeah, I, I would take the over there, but I, I certainly understand the number. Um, 13 wins, 11 and 0 in one score game. So Justin Jefferson said it best yesterday. Yeah, we won, you know, 13 games. We played 11 close games, and if mm-hmm. those things break the other way, you know, we just inherently don't win 13 games, and that's true. Everything went right for the Vikings last year. Uh, at some point, that's not going to, you know, just math says that, that that's impossible to happen again. Uh, so eight and a half, that feels like a fair number, but, you know, I do think that this team has the talent to you know, it surpassed that number. Um, and then I expect them to contend for the NFC North. And I think to win the NFC North, you're going to need more than eight and a half wins. So I would take the over there. So then they should make the playoffs. The yes, no on the playoffs. The no is actually the favorite at minus 140. Yeah, I would take the yes. Uh, okay. So if you want to make a ton of money, listen to, to your boy in, in Minnesota. Um, no, I, I think it's a fair number, too. We're really splitting hairs. I think a lot of those, those numbers are reflective of how people feel about Detroit this year. Um, the Lions have become... Team, a team where it sounds crazy because it's Detroit, but they've become a team that, that everyone is ready to say, like, they've taken the next step. I need to see it. Um, I think, you know, Vegas obviously knows what they're talking about. They're not just throwing these numbers out, you know, pulling them out of thin air. Um, I think the, the, the fact that the Vikings not making the playoffs is more favorable than making the playoffs is largely rooted in people thinking about the Lions' success. Um, yeah, I think they. I think they win the North. I think they make the playoffs. We'll see if I'm right. I'm not Nostradamus. <laughs> there you go. Hawaiian Dane Mizutani living in Minnesota. Okay. All right. All right. Doesn't make a lot of sense, right? No. no. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Saw the uh, saw the the uh, the bio. That's funny line. Uh, we appreciate it, Dane. Thank you so much. Anytime, anytime. There he is, Pioneer Press. Vikings beat writer Dane Mizzitani, yes, was born in Hawaii, somehow decided Minnesota was a better option. Are you serious with the Lions stuff here? Come on. They're the favorites to win the division, a plus 120? You get the Vikings at 3-1? to one? They're biting kneecaps. 
Okay, Adam, where are you on what could be a really crazy day with some decisions by the end of the day or the next couple days here with Pac-12 schools? A lot of it hinges on what Arizona is going to do. They're the next school to make a decision. Colorado went last week. Uh, I don't think Colorado is that big a loss, but the problem with Arizona is if Arizona goes, does that mean they're linked to Arizona State, and then does that freak out Utah? So you seem to be jubilant about this whole thing, which I think is a little bit weird because I think you're smarter than that and that there is value in schools you know, of – Similar ilk and in a region sticking together, but you're kind of enjoying the chaos. There's more value in being right, I think, is the, is the thing. I mean, this is what I've been saying for, what, six years? Uh, it, it's happening. So that money is the only thing that matters. And they're going to break away from the NCAA, too. Like, that's going to happen. Yeah. So this has been a process that's been ongoing, and, you know, we can go back a week of, we're not worried in the Pac-12, you should have been worried. Uh, no, it sucks. For fans, I think, especially sucks. fans of schools that are going to be left behind. I think it sucks for the athletes. I went to a school for a reason. Um, we'll, we'll explain that a little further. Dan Wetzel uh, did a great podcast this week. He does it every week with uh, Pat Forty over at Yahoo, and he said, uh, you know, all these remain, all eyes, remain on uh, what Arizona's going to do, Big 12 or stay in the Pac-12. Um, after that, he says, some believe that if there's nine remaining in the Pac-12, they could still decide to stay together. He actually made a good case for that, which I can explain on the podcast. But here he is talking about the decision for Arizona and really no reason to panic. You're the state flagship university of a growing, a big growing state with a lot of tradition in, in at least basketball and potential in football. I don't think you got to jump. And I think if you have a cooler thought process, you say, what exactly are we getting out of this? We're now giving up all of our traditional rivals. We're no longer in all the states where we get a lot of our students. We're traveling Florida, West Virginia, Ohio, like all over the place. Yeah, we're in Texas, but no offense to the schools that are in the Big Ten and Big 12 in Texas. It's not Texas or Texas A&M we're playing. We're in Lubbock and things like, you know, I, everything in this sport, these administrators get focused on the smallest things. They can't see the forest through the trees. He's right. First of all, the Big 12 is pulling a complete sham here. Like, what they're selling, I think people still believe it's Oklahoma and Texas who are going to be around. They're not around. Yeah. It's a bunch of freaking, like, low-level kind of mediocre schools that, that are very sports-hungry and are well-funded, but it's some of the hellholes of Texas that you're going to. I mean, some of the long-distance trips now, Cincinnati, Morgantown, West Virginia, Orlando, and that's it. You're not going to be tied to Cal- – Arizona's not going to be tied to California – anymore it's just it's bizarre and it's over right now on the surface it's a 31 million dollar payout per school in the big 12 they'll renegotiate that and probably have the same number per school and the apple deal has about 20 million dollars per school with upside it's 10 million dollars you're gonna leave your traditional ties and like you said where a lot of the kids actually come from you're gonna leave a region over 10 million dollars how many student athletes signed up at Colorado thinking, hey, we get to play in California where my parents are from? Oh, the hell you do now. They listen to the, the, the echo chamber of college athletics. It's, oh, my God, NIL's bad. Oh, my God, oh, my God. And they're like, hey, calm down. It's going to be all right. Oh, they're going to make $8 million more million. That's it. We got to go. Why? Are you going bankrupt at Arizona? Beautiful. He's right. It's so, it's so short-sighted. And I'm telling you, the echo chamber on social media is absurd. There's like 12 to 15 people who really cover college football, and I think they've gotten a little bit loose on this, not respecting regions and schools of like mind. 
And then you get all these fans coming in, and then you get you know, a moron like Paul Feinbaum, who's actually not a moron, but the stuff he's saying is like just celebratory about there's nothing interesting about the Pac-12. There's nothing interesting about 80% of the SEC in the piss-poor region of the country. These are some of the biggest cities, some of the most desirable areas to live in in the Mountain and Pacific time zones, and you're going to pair yourself with the Oklahoma States and the Texas Techs of the world? I don't get it. And again, the money... It's eight or ten million dollars now. Do you realize at Central Florida, right now this is a little bit exorbitant. And by the way, I don't think people realize Central Florida has like undergrad pop pop of like fifty, fifty five thousand. If you simply had a athletic fee, which many schools do, that you pass on to your students, which I don't love, but you nickel and dime them a little bit. You know, Central Florida is on the high end. They charge their students four hundred thirty dollars. A year in athletic fees. It's $29 million. It's $29 million. You can make up 8 or $10 million, but what you can't make up is screwing over the kids and their parents who go play football, having no care about any other sport. Like all of these kids now, I mean, do you think people want to go to Arizona and Arizona State to play baseball? And they're like, yeah, we're going to go to West Virginia during the season. Like, what? I'm going to go West Virginia? Well, I, I do think – we're, the the conferences are getting to the point where they're going to be big enough where you're not going to do that. Where you're going to say football and basketball, we have these long trips. We're playing in the conference, so, and then we're, we have the sub regionals in the conference where you just play your teams in your region. Eh, still though, uh, if you're if you're feeding from a state, if Arizona baseball or Arizona Olympic sports is feeding from California, you're not going to the Big Ten. You're not going with US, USC and UCLA. Well, right, you're not you're not going there, but I mean. In that case, like the big the the Big Ten yeah. in Olympic sports is going to have a conference that's Oregon, Washington, well, USC. Ta- but well, we're talking about the collapse of the Pac-12 right now, and you're right. right. If they add enough, I don't think I don't think the Big Ten's going to like 20 teams. I think that's absurd. So I don't know how they're going to solve this. I, I I loved the the rumor that came out like an hour ago that it's that they're making the announcement within 36 hours of Oregon, Washington, Clemson, and Florida State. And you're like, okay, okay, like what? Rumor from who? From who? Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. It's coming from everywhere. But I mean, you realize how? Would you be surprised if that happened? Yes. Yes. I don't know. I I don't think I would. Yeah. It's. I'm. I'm hoping that adults step up and actually provide some leadership and don't look at eight or ten million dollars as the end of the world. That you change the the you know an entire school's culture, and then also listen the the schools in they're there to educate, but you're also you're there to get applications donations students obviously are going there to get educated where you're gonna you're, you're now what you're gonna have a national map and you want to pull kids from freaking lubbock texas who cares no i'm i don't think any of this is wrong and i think you're right that you could make up this 10 but it's not i don't think it's about 10 million dollars i think it's about 100 or 150 million dollars because like i've said and i know you know like projecting all the way out but they are going to break away they have to get into a conference big enough because when they break away from the right. NCAA and run their own leagues, and, and, and it's we- going to be a professional league. I will it's tell you what Wetzel's point the entire way was Arizona's not going to be left in the dark uh, ASU will be not will not be left out Washington and Oregon won't be left out they don't have to make a panic move now it's not going to happen it's not going to happen there there aren't enough schools to to make 18 or 20 team conferences. If these guys don't go, they don't want to pull from group of five. There aren't that many attractive group of five schools. These guys are fine. And really, this is in a, a four- or five-year cycle. 
So if they leave, and I don't know what Utah is going to do. I guess they have a meeting tonight. We're going to talk to one of the guys in Utah who covers a lot of Utah sports, Monty, in a little bit. But uh, coming up next, let's get to Xavier Pope. He's at NABJ in Chicago. Lots of interesting things to get to, especially that um, uh, the legal action with Cardi B over at the pool party this weekend, whipping her microphone at the crowd. Xavier coming from, I think, NABJ. A couple of good things to get to today on a Thursday. Xavier, how you doing, buddy? I'm pretty good. How you doing, Rick Steve? Man, time flew, didn't it? It was just, uh, it seems like it was yesterday that NABJ was here in Vegas. So, uh, what's cooking there? Yeah, we're in Birmingham, Alabama. I just came back from um, from Rickwood Field, um, one of the, the oldest baseball, uh, professional baseball stadiums in America, um, where the greats like Cool Baba Bill, Satchel Page, uh, and even uh, Reggie Jackson um, and, and played, uh, and Willie Mays. Um, it, it was like literally walking in the stadium, like stepping into a time warp and being in an old school baseball stadium. Now, in Major League Baseball made their announcement today, uh, a game between the San Francisco Giants and the, and the St. Louis Cardinals next year in 2024, uh, which is going to be pretty cool um, to see that happen. Are you, a, are you a big old stadium guy in general or just kind of strike you? I love old stadiums. I, I love to see like the seats that kind of fading in the color. I like to see coming to old school signs. I'm from Chicago, so what really feel is, is old stadium. They try to kind of keep it that old type feel, and I, the retro parks seem to just have more character than some of these just really antiseptic, antiseptic places that kind of they, they have, they have come up since. So NABJ in Birmingham, does it hit differently? It hits a little bit differently because it's it's just a smaller city, a smaller venue, and I think the the, the organization tries to kind of scale it down and trying to be into to, to areas and uh, regional areas um, to get the feel of a lot of local coverage that covers the southern region, uh, and so it's much different than Las Vegas. Um, definitely enjoy my time in Las Vegas, no question about it. Loved our panel next year. It actually helped people get jobs. So that panel was really impactful. It really had a real-world impact. So, Steve, I thank you for working <laughs> with me to, to put that panel together. Solid work. It was a great panel. It was well-received. People are still talking about it today. Well, you guys did a good job. This was a, that was mostly you. Um, what is what is the narrative of NABJ, or one of the big narratives in 2023, especially considering where the media is going, which – it seems like a lot of funding has been cut, and then prominent guys like Bomani Jones are on the outside looking in. It doesn't mean he's not doing anything, but you know, you're, you're seeing people lopped off of you know, major companies because of cost cutting. That's a really great point, and he also kept to consider these, these 13 attorneys generals across the country attempted to uh, attack companies for DEI programs, and then you see what's the future of the organization, the funding, and sponsors. What does it look like? I mean, there. In the recent Supreme Court case that, that indicates affirmative action, and you also look at what that impact is, but it doesn't, it has no basis in terms of cutting DEI programs, it looks like, but it still is an intimidation tactic to prevent uh, situations like this, where we have, you know, where conferences like this, getting jobs for, for, for African American journalists across, across the field, uh, particularly in the sports world, uh, where we've seen so many job losses. Xavier Pope is with us here on a Thursday, joins us every Thursday at around 345. Uh, so we got a story coming out of Florida where Ron DeSantis has some interesting thoughts on diversity, and he actually got $50,000 uh, to a, what, a DeSantis super PAC from the Magic, and then the NBA Players Association decided to send out a letter. Is that important that they do that, or are they just kind of playing into what he wants? 
No, 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 Steve. That, that was extremely important because you also have those players that, that play for some of those owners and they're them having voices. You saw that during the pandemic uh, when voices, uh, players' voices were really impactful in terms of impacting voting, like LeBron James and the Milwaukee Bucks refusing to play a game after, um, after, after a police shooting. I, I think that it's extremely important. But what, what I, what I want to ask you, Steve, mm-hmm. why would the Orlando Magic came out with a statement and they said that they made that donation before Ron DeSantis declared as the candidacy for presidency. Well, <laughs> according to records, it was after May twenty yeah. fourth. I mean, why would they, they made the donation to say June twenty fifth? Why would the magic lie about something like that? That it can be easily proven false. Can you, can you, can you give me an answer about that, Steve? No. How, how no. would they do that? Because they think people are stupid and they're going to buy that excuse, but we're not. Yeah, I, I think we're not going to buy it. I mean, I think that you, to, to expect for reasonable journalists to not to in, to to research that, look into that, right. and determine that that was a falsehood. But why do that when the the vast majority of your players are African American to do something like that? Xavier, I've got to ask you, when we see the Dan Snyder, he has to sell the Commanders, you know, joy in Washington. Mm-hmm. But the Athletic released a story today, headline, after the Commanders sell, what now for the women who stood up to Dan Snyder, who kind of got the ball rolling with release the report? Because it was a verbal report that was getting to the, the NFL. We don't know what was actually on it. What could be next for these women now that the majority of sports fans are moving on now that he sold the team? Yeah, I think I think that some of them are have a mixed 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 feelings about this. Um, one of the things is that you know, Dan Snyder has had a had a history of suing those who have exposed him and some of his actions, and so uh, will 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 that rest? That's number one. Uh, number two, uh, what does it say about the culture outside of the, of of that Washington franchise and other professional sports franchises, and whether the the, the concerns that they've raised in terms of uh, what's happened in their organization, and that doesn't continue in other organs that happen in National Football League. Xavier Pope up on Cofield and company. Let's go in a completely different direction. Adam Hill is here. It's Cofield. Um, you mentioned going to visit the old baseball stadium. Yeah. I just wanted to get your take on the MLB trade deadline because this show is very split. Uh, myself and John Von Tobel think that, hey, anytime you're near the playoffs – you reward the fans and you go for it within reason. Don't trade away your best prospect. Um, other guys on the show like Adam and, and uh, our buddy Adam Candy say, uh, oftentimes, just bail. Get the hell out. You're not going to win a World Series. Um, what does it mean for Cubs fans that even though it was just a little bit of tweaking, but that the Cubs around 500 are going to try and actually tried to add to the roster and told everyone, hey, Marcus Stroman's here and so is Cody Bellinger. We're not moving. We're going to try to make a run for the playoffs. Well, one of the things important to remember that it's- the Chicago Cubs uh, have the second-best run differential in the National League, um, and they have the fifth-best run differential in Major League Baseball. Um, and they've been hitting the crap out of the, out of the, bat, out of the baseball since the All-Star break. Um, and so um, what it looks like is that that team is not as bad as people think they are. Um, a couple of tweaks could actually make them a, a winning franchise. And also the concept of, what is considered a contender has changed now that we understand that there's an additional wild card team, and now you can go from winning one wild card game to going on and winning the World Series, and so that completely changes the dynamic of the competitiveness in the Major League Baseball. And so I think that with the Chicago Cubs, they have a good team, they have good pieces there to add to that, and potentially put themselves in a position they can compete is a big deal. I mean, it's not that they were playing bad; they're actually able, they're able, they're keeping teams 
were down in runs and they're also able to score runs. And so that's a good sign. Um, if you see a team like the, the Mets who spent tons of money for no return, that's a completely different situation. And they, they weren't in the same situation as Chicago Cubs. Adam, you disagree? You, you, no. you, uh, you mad at the Cubs for keeping Bellinger and keeping Stroman? Should they have traded off? They're three games out of first in the sure. Central. No, I was actually going to ask uh, because I think the Cubs just had the best two-game offensive stretch since 1897 for the yeah. franchise. Uh, are people starting to actually – I mean, I know people are Cubs fans no matter what, even when they're awful. Uh, but are people actually <laughs> starting to believe it around Chicago that they could win? I think it's different with the Chicago Cubs. Since, since the Cubs won the World Series, since they've had a change in the culture, I think that people expect now the Cubs to actually be competitive. And I think that based on what Chicago Cubs fans have seen and what they've shown since the All-Star break, that they, they, they could be competitive. I mean, the, the Astros, they, they were in a pretty much almost the same situation the Cubs are in terms of being uh, as far back as they are in their division, but they weren't getting Justin Verlander back. And now that team is looking to to make a run. I know that's a completely different franchise in terms of their ability to win. But why can't the Cubs do something that the Astros are doing right now? Out here in Vegas, we got some crazy stuff going on all the time. But uh, one of the pool parties, I think it was over at Trace, Cardi B was there. Uh, you hear a DJ in the background yelling about getting her wet. Um, someone actually t- <laughs> took him up on it. Uh, maybe that wasn't the intent. Threw something at her. She whips a microphone into the crowd. I want you to listen to this attorney up on uh, TikTok who says that Cardi B should be fine in this case because she's got a good defense. Fire this. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, anyway, he said self-defense. So what do you think? Does she have the right to uh, take a microphone uh, and whip I, it I, into the crowd? Well, you, you have the concept of imperfect self-defense where you, if you are defending yourself in one way, you can't go beyond a certain level of defense to defend yourself. So having water thrown at yourself from the stage when you have a higher ground and then turn around and throwing a mic at someone, a potentially could be seen as a court, is not taking the proper steps. You also have security um, that could have handled that individual. And so, but I think the criminal aspect of it is, is, is not the bigger deal. I mean, she could potentially get those, those charges dropped. But that individual that was hit with the microphone does have the opportunity to use that as a backdrop to be able to file a civil suit and be able to get, get money from that thing. And I think that's probably the bigger issue in this case. I doubt if, she, she spent, if, if this goes anywhere in terms of the criminal aspect of it. It's the civil aspect of it being sued by that fan. I think this creates that avenue to be able to do that. Xavier, I think we have less than a minute left, but does it matter that it looked like she might have hit the wrong person? Like, does, if, does self-defense or any claim of that or any suit, does it change if you throw a microphone and somebody hit somebody else? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the person that was intended to be hit, I mean, that person doesn't have any claim because they don't have any what's known as damages. Um, but the individual that's actually been hit, um, they, can, they, they have more leeway to be able to, to, be able to, to sue because they were hit, and regardless of what the explanation is as to why they were hit, that still gives the open door for them to be able to sue someone like Cardi. Xavier, have a good time on the rest of the trip. Enjoy the end of NABJ, and we'll talk to you next week. Love you guys. Thank you. There he is. Say it. Say it. Nope. My mic's off, I think. Give me the uh, TikTok lawyer just so we can hear what the lawyer said in defending Cardi B over at the pool party, whipping the mic into the crowd after someone threw something on her. In my professional legal opinion, we're arguing self-defense all the way to a dismissal or a not guilty. Here's why. Somebody threw something at her. That's assault. Oh, it's just water, Jesse. It's just water. Why is that assault? Because how do you know it's water? What if it's urine? What if it's acid? At that moment, she has no idea what someone has just done. She has a reasonable apprehension of danger. And her reaction is to throw a microphone in self-defense. 
I like that guy. Jesse Hernandez out of Texas. I want, I, I want him to rep me when something like this happens. The official lawyer of Cofield and Company and Lotus Broadcasting.